If you are a teacher, parent, administrator, student, and or anyone who loves reconnecting children with nature, and you want to figure out how to cultivate learning gardens and nature-based curriculum, then this is the podcast, the Outdoor Classrooms Podcast. My name is Victoria Hackett. I am the founder of OutdoorClassrooms.com and the Secret Gardens Nature Classes. I love witnessing the magic that happens when children are playfully learning outdoors, observing the return of wonder and curiosity. Curiosity when children are interacting with nature is pure magic. This is the podcast that is going to help you capture children's interest and give you not only inspiration, but some real life strategies that are going to help you figure out how to use the outdoor space, your outdoor space, as a teaching tool so you can enlighten the playful learning experience for young children. Welcome to our Outdoor Classrooms community. Did you know that Outdoor Classrooms improve children's emotional, intellectual, and behavioral development while helping foster the development of creativity, problem-solving, independence, and confidence? The problem is, overwhelm, fear, and a lack of time can often make achieving any Outdoor Classroom vision into reality more trouble than it's worth. Did you know that we have a membership community at Outdoor Classrooms? It's the leading training community for educators and parents interested in cultivating outdoor classrooms and creating nature-based curriculum. It's a membership to support, collaborate, educate, and bring like-minded educators together. And it's packed with in-depth, practical training and resources for all aspects of planning, running, and growing a sustainable outdoor classroom, plus the community support you need to ensure your teaching gardens achieve their full potential. This month, we are enjoying an author series, and we're kicking off with Linda McGurk, the author of There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather. She is a journalist and photographer who grew up in Sweden, approximately on the same latitude as the Gulf Alaska. When she spends time in nature with her two young daughters, she is also known as a worm digger, frog catcher, splinter remover, tree identifier, mud cleaner upper, tent raiser, band-aid provider, and fire builder in chief. She is also the host of Rain or Shine Mama, that is a blog, and she talks about when she grew up, she was taught to go outside every day, rain or shine, because it was good for her. This was during a time that she probably didn't even realize how true it was. She was quite contented making mud cakes and building forts in the woods. Without further ado, Linda McGurk, she's going to be sharing her story and her memoir from an incredible book. If you haven't read it, you must pick it up. There's no such thing as bad weather. We are here with Linda McGurk, the author of There's No Such Thing as Bad Weather. And I am absolutely thrilled to have you here and cannot wait to get into uh, your book and your philosophies and what you've been learning and all of that. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm um, excited to be here. Yes, it's your book is absolutely fantastic. I highly, highly recommend it to everybody. It's true a little bit about a lot of bit about your own story being in the US and really going back to Scandinavia. And just that I was just absolutely struck by the comparisons in especially in the education systems. And I'd love right. for you to tell us a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, I was raised, born and raised in Sweden and came over to the U.S. when I was in my 20s and uh, lived in Indiana for many years. And that's also where my two daughters were born. And I noticed right away that there were a lot of differences. And when I had my first daughter, I think that's really when it dawned on me that she was going to have a very different upbringing from the one I'd had. Mm -hmm. I noticed in Indiana that children were rarely outside playing and especially not in the wintertime. And uh, overall, it just didn't seem like connecting children with nature was a thing. Whereas like in Sweden, I think that's considered one of the most important part of like raising a child. It's like really key. It's seen as one of the most important things that a child can be doing before they start school, which they do at age six in Sweden. So the the whole preschool system was very different in the US. It was very, very academic. And I just, you know, from from when a child is, is born in Sweden, it was just very, very different. Like so in Sweden, for example, you know, little babies nap outside all yeah. year round because parents mm. want them to get fresh air. And it's like all the adults in a child's life sort of there's this consensus that we all need to to help out here to get these kids outside so it's not just the parents who want the kids to play outside but also you have the support from the whole system in in terms of like the preschools and healthcare providers you know doctors even recommend the outdoor napping in the U.S. I was told by a by a nurse at one point that that it was basically uh, dangerous for my baby daughter to be outside in the winter time, and I've had others tell me that they've had the same same thing happen to them. And so people were very surprised when I was outside with my young children uh, in in cold temperatures. And of course, since I was I had grown up in a culture where that wasn't just accepted, but actually like celebrated as something good. Yeah. I I felt like I still had the confidence to do it my way. And I had, I started my blog, uh, Rain or Shine Mama, um, as a way to just sort of inspire other parents. And I think part of it was just I felt very lonely in my whole yeah. parenting journey because because I was I stuck out and I figured there's going to be other parents out there too who feel like they want to get their kids outside too but you know might not know how and so I started the blog to sort of in- inspire people and, and give them some tools to know how to dress for harsh weather and and then the blog led to to this book yeah. Yeah. So that's that's how it started. And then the book just kind of took off and it's now it's in its sixth year of printing and it's still selling very oh, well. So yeah. I think the message has really resonated and uh and I'm I'm yeah, really very happy about that. <laughs> Do, as you're speaking, I'm just thinking of one story that you told in the book when you and your daughters were you found this wonderful place to hike and there mm-hmm. was a police policemen there that after you yeah. came back and yeah. and arrest like gave you a ticket because yeah, you had, had gone the, off the trail 
Yeah, there was a nature preserve uh, not too far from our house where I took them hiking uh, ever since they were little babies. I took them there because in Indiana, there's just not a lot of public, there's not a lot of public uh, space or, you know, public nature areas where you can take kids. And so I'd taken them there on a regular basis. and, And we were there, it was in May, uh, I think Memorial Day weekend, and it was very warm. So they they did what they usually do when, when it's warm out. And we were at this preserve, which is they just tossed their clothes off and they jumped into this creek. And there was a trail leading down to this creek. Um, I didn't know that this trail was not sanctioned. I suppose it had been yeah. made by people who were, you know, wanting to to get down to the creek. But it, apparently it wasn't part of the official trail system. But there was a trail. And then, you know, the, the kids had a bit of a swim in the water. And we came came to, sounds, um, back to the, yeah. It <laughs> okay, sounds like we, a dream, you know. Yeah. <laughs> afternoon. And then right. mindset. And then we, we came back to the parking lot. My oldest daughter, she ran ahead and, and uh, she said, Mom, there's a there's a police officer in the parking lot. And he said, we're not allowed to play in the creek. And it was a conservation officer. And yeah, and I didn't, I couldn't believe it. I was yeah. like, are you, are you yeah. for real? He, and he wrote, <laughs> wrote us a ticket for like $120 too. Yes, so just- yeah, and Amazing. he said, you, you are not allowed to leave the trail. Um, the kids are not supposed to, they're, they're not allowed in the water. There could be like slippery rocks in there. They might trip and fall. And wow. it's like, are you for real? This is like the most normal <laughs> childhood experience that I can think of. Yeah. And it was just such a shock. It was, and it was hard too. I caught some flack for it because, you know, because it was, against the rules but it was not wasn't my intention to break the rules so like obviously it, it was not very clear that we were off the trail since we had followed a trail right right um but either way i couldn't i i thought it was very odd that you know that we had that there was this obsession with just keeping keeping everybody on the trail in this in this area because the, the officers the only the only thing you're allowed to do here is to walk on the trail on that's the trail. it yeah, and I just thought, well, then I can't take my kids here again because they, they because were, it's... yeah, <laughs> they were so little at the time. I was, I would have been constantly just telling them, no, no, you can't right. do that. No, yeah. sorry, yeah. So, which is which is sort yeah. of speaks to a bit of the fear that maybe the U.S. in terms of taking kids out or being out is what I find yeah. is is oh it's too much trouble or especially when when it's mm-hmm. climate weather and it's just too much uh yeah. did you find that in your when your kids you know started going to school here yeah there there was a big difference in how uh recess was handled for example so it seemed like there was never the perfect weather for for letting the kids <laughs> play outside it was always too windy or too cold or too snowy or too wet and if they were out like allowed outside it was if there was they were always very restricted in what they could do yeah like they weren't allowed to like on the ice uh because they might trip and fall and there was um and not just like it my my children's school was not unique by any means I heard the like I hear these stories all the time from all uh, educators who are frustrated too because they are so you know limited in what they can do like I had um, I had one educator contact me not that long ago and said 
she was, um, but the kids at her school, they weren't allowed to play before getting, like in the schoolyard before getting picked up by the bus because then they, the bus would get messy. And like, oh, wow. why we're just like constantly, and, and somebody else said, you know, well, when it snows here, the kids are not allowed to touch the snow because then they get wet and that's, you know, inconvenient. And, and like, I understand that it is inconvenient when kids get wet and, and muddy at recess, but I think we need to reframe the whole, yeah, the whole uh, situation. Like we need to see to what's actually best for the children, right? Rather than to see, all, just see all the problems, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Because I think these these issues can all be, they can all be fixed if you have a more if if you focus on the child and what they need so so in swedish schools for example the kids don't wear they don't wear their shoes inside because you right. can't have them track the mud into the classroom because obviously that would get all messy and i think that's an issue in the us there are different rules you know around what you can do with that and there are big like drying cabinets where the kids can hang in their wet clothes. And th- so there's definitely some practical issues. Um, but I also know that a lot of teachers are frustrated, especially the teachers who've been in the game for a long time, because they feel like it hasn't always been like that. They say that the whole the fear of litigation yeah. and parents calling them like I had a teacher tell me that uh, teachers tell me that if even if it's just like uh, drizzling outside uh, or if there's even the threat of a drizzle, then parents will if, call if they uh, see the kids outside because they're worried about the kids getting sick. So there's yeah. a lot of misconceptions about, you know, inclement weather making kids sick. And so the parents worry and then they in turn, they put pressure on the school to keep yeah. the kids inside. Yeah, so, it's terrible. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but I was yeah. so struck, and you write so beautifully, because I felt like I was there. I could actually, I felt like physically, when you went yeah. to, back to Scandinavia for the mm-hmm. period of time that you were there, and the transition that your children had to make, and I, I don't remember, I think it was probably your oldest daughter, was mm-hmm. very quiet when she got there. And then it just sort of this, it was like reading, a, watching a flower blossom and yeah. how she s- started writing books for herself with a friend. Right. And it was just this very organic yeah. learning. And I was, I, I just not talking about, it, I get goosebumps, but it's, so yeah. tell me a little <laughs> bit more about what that was like for you as a parent yeah. and what that was like for them. And yeah, it was, it, yeah, I, I I should say that before we left, we there had been a period of where I was kind of feeling kind of down about the whole school thing because my daughter was very stressed out about like homework and she was in second grade when we left and there was a lot of homework and not not by fault of the teachers. The teachers were just like kind of doing their cogs in the system and they mm-hmm. they needed to everybody is just like constantly trying to prepare the kids for the next stage. And so, so there was a lot of pressure on, on the kids and um, my daughter by second grade, just, she was in tears after school and said that she hated school and Mm. it broke my heart because I felt like you got, you got a lot of years left and it's really sad that you're feeling like this This already. 
So when we went to Sweden, it was very different. There's just a shorter, much shorter school day, and、mm-hmm. about twenty percent of the school day is recess. So, wow. So there's the free outdoor play, which means that there's also a lot more time for the children to socialize and make friends and just learn, you know, learn while playing as well. Right. Right. And so, so I felt like that, you know, it, it really did her some good. And、uh, so, she, so she,、um, yeah, she ended up finding friends pretty quickly. And we often had kids over at our house, and、um, that. you know, and, and that also helped. It, it was helpful to me too, because in the U.S., I, I felt like I was constantly. Like the only one, I was like, <laughs> it was just me trying to get my kids outside all the time. Right.、Uh, whereas in Sweden, I had this whole it village. Just, it、people. just felt like it was everybody was in the、yeah. same mindset,、yeah. and right, everybody had、right. the right gear, and they were even. Yeah. And then they, you talked about free range.、Mm-hmm. They, they get they they, but it wasn't like overnight. It was just gradual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. So in Sweden, we we apply like uh, uh, freedom with responsibility. So the kids have quite a bit of freedom out to play outside, like on their own. And it sort of yeah, it comes gradually. So it starts when they're fairly young with you know letting them you know play outside unsupervised for little bits of time, and then you just kind of extend it and you sort of extend the the range where they can where they can.、Um, Be and yeah, it's just it works. It's, it's pretty well building of that confidence. I did. A, we did、yeah. a whole podcast just on that, just how、yeah. to build children's confidence, and it's just、mm-hmm. incredible that. And I even as myself as a parent could feel that tug, like oh, you know? yeah, I know. <laughs> it, it's it's very it's hard.、Uh, it's hard to let because we're obviously as as. Caregivers were just wired to do everything in our power to protect our children yeah, from harm.、So. Right. But our but the thing is, we we also we we got to give them a little freedom to to explore on their own too, because that's how they learn to、yeah. judge risk. Because I, and I like uh, uh, the re- researchers who are sort of experts in in this in this area. They have they like to say that you know we shouldn't keep. Children as safe as possible, but just as safe as necessary. And I and there's a distinction there that we shouldn't keep them safer than than than、uh, just, necessary because they they need to practice. They need to practice how to manage risk. Otherwise, we we can't just open the door for them when they're eighteen and be like, okay, here you go. This is something that has to happen、yeah. gradually. Mm-hmm. You you know just like learning math or or any other academic subject, I suppose you need practice. I was just going to say that I said that that、mm-hmm. carries over to the academics so beautifully. I mean, if, if、yeah. you are pushing them out and then pushing them out of their comfort zone in a sense,、yeah. even in, and then, but there's so much. Uh, academia in within the play,、mm-hmm. so that you know that playful learning. So yeah, that they're grasping, and it just seems、yeah. so organic and I don't know to me dreamy. It just it's like <laughs>、oh, I love to. Yeah, <laughs> but then I, know, I mean, the whole I, community too. You know,、it's, yeah, it, 
And I know, I know this is hard, like, like I said, but I think when you start with baby steps, it's like already with, with crawlers and, and toddlers, you know, let them crawl up on that log and, and, yeah. and, um, that's, that's how it starts. You know, you don't start with climbing, uh, a tall, a tall tree. They they yeah. start when they're just crawling around and they're finding a log and they're trying their hands at it. And when you've done that, like, because I get comments sometimes on my Instagram photos, my kids are like way up in trees and, and, but I'm not, I'm not worried because this has all happened incrementally. Right. I, right. I, I really think that's key. They didn't just mm-hmm. wake up one day and thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and climb this 20 foot spruce. They, uh, they've done this uh, for you know, ever since they were born almost. Yeah. So, and I, so that way I've been a part of that journey as a parent. I've, I've seen every step uh, of the way. Makes I think me that's more confident. An, an important message to tell us here in the U S because I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of educators that, or that have infants and toddlers in their care that don't necessarily believe that infants and toddlers should go outside. Right. There's too much, or it takes too much mm-hmm. to get them outside because they have so yeah. many, so many things to go with them. But mm-hmm. it's almost that much more important because you need to take that first step. That's yeah. That's the first step to take. It's it's to yes. take them when they're li- what, as young as you possibly can. And I love that they mm-hmm. the napping outdoors and all of that, and it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, it it definitely matters. There are so many neural pathways that that are built during a baby's first year. It's incredible. So that time is definitely not wasted just because the child can't talk about the experiences that they have outside doesn't mean that they're not having those experiences and they're just becoming ingrained in their minds and, and brains. So I think that's very powerful, just being outside with a baby and them hearing, hearing all the sounds, oh, the bird, yeah. twi- you know, the bird Twitter and the, and the, the shadows wind. and the wind yes, and rustling. Yeah, all of that. Absolutely. So, yes, definitely, definitely take a baby outside. There's no doubt about the benefits at all. Yeah. Um, and in terms of toddlers, yeah, I, I know it can be a a lot of work, but just looking at the way they do it here at the preschools, when you have a big group, like of 15 kids, I think one of the keys is really to let them be a part of that process themselves. Mm-hmm. It's The idea is not to have the, I mean, they might need assistance with some things, but uh, even the clothes and the boots and everything are kind of adjusted to make sure that they're easy for the children to put on themselves because right. that's also a very important learning experience to to learn independence like I can do this by myself mm-hmm. so we may not think of getting dressed for getting outside as a a learning experience but it very much is you know it's it's one of the first things that a child can do to gain some independence is get dressed by themselves to, yeah, to go outside and huge. play for all those uh, that are listening, I'm nodding my head. <laughs> I'm like, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's, and then, and then the huge other block is, is fear is fear. Once mm-hmm. we sort of get out there that it's, oh, there's not enough to do or, mm. and that's why I think creating these outdoor classrooms is so critical because you're creating spaces where they have it's sort of very similar to the indoor classroom that sort of invitations for learning right, right. at any stage of development. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. 
felt like you talked to a lot of different parents and went to a lot of different programs in your research for the book. Is yeah, I yeah. getting that right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I interviewed uh, researchers and I uh, parents and and all that. And I so the book kind of chronicles my journey from yeah from coming or from giving birth to my daughter in the U.S. and kind of the, some of the struggles and the culture clashes that I encountered in the U.S. And another one of those was, you know, now that you mentioned outdoor classrooms, but that was another venue that I tried because I thought, well, maybe this could be something that I can help the school with to to sort of encourage the teachers to get outside more often with with the kids. You know, if they can't get out for recess, well, I don't know, maybe they can get out more like during during class time. And so I was in the PTA for a while, and that was one of my, like, yeah, one of my projects, <laughs> that my passion projects that I brought up. Um, and I even had, like, a consultant, like, I brought in a, an outdoor wow. classroom consultant, and she had a look at, at the schoolyard because we had a, a big portion that was just a grassy field that wasn't used for anything except for like local dog walkers <laughs> sometimes would go in there and, and uh, play with our dogs so I thought well this area could certainly be used for an outdoor classroom it would be perfect for it so I kind of pitched it to the PTA and they were they were a little skeptical I pitched it to the principal yeah. and she was she you know she was she thought it was a great idea but she just didn't know how to get the teachers on get... board uh and like I talked to some teachers and they loved the idea too but they were also not sure they couldn't figure out how are we gonna add this on top of everything else that oh we have God. to do like we already have this curriculum like there's no time for anything extra and I try to I, I really try to talk to them about like just using this as a you can include it like this mm -hmm. can be a part of it and uh, but I didn't it, it was kind of at the time like people hadn't really heard of outdoor classrooms right. this yeah. was pre pre COVID and it was just not I was I think a little ahead of my time I, I think you uh, and I I was at the, the yeah. same thing at my children's elementary school and that's what got me into this was yeah. I was always an educator but. Wanted yeah, to start this outdoor right. classroom, got the same response was like, uh, yeah, no, not but, quite. Yeah, people, <laughs> they could not visualize it. They didn't like really understand what it was and how they were going to use it or have time for it. And so it ended up just, yeah, it ended up not, not taking off. And, uh, the PTA was even like, they, they instead they they suggested that why don't we just um, pave the, this whole grassy area and make it make let's make it a parking lot instead. <laughs> and my heart just sank, and uh, and that was the end of my involvement with the PTA. <laughs> um, I I did not sign up for the next semester. I felt yeah, I just felt very. Oh, I remember saddened. I walked out. Yeah, I walked out of the meeting crying because I was yeah. like, oh, it's a Yeah, I was very sad. I got a little thing. bit of it going. We just sort of started. So we just yeah. got some of it going. Yeah. But. but then I actually had, I got involved with a different project with, I, I teamed up with a couple other moms and we actually uh, spearheaded an effort to uh, to revamp an, a really old dilapidated uh, playground that the community oh. had and um, it just had this this like all this old equipment from like I don't know it was like original from the 60s including something that they called <laughs> that was locally referred to as the 
<laughs> the slide of death. It was called the, the slide sli- of death. Oh, oh nice. Yeah. <laughs> It probably, it, I don't, I don't think anybody died on it. And it was probably a little, it, it wasn't that dangerous, but it was the, the point is the equipment was very old and it, it was a very uninspiring, uninspiring uh, place uh, for the kids to be. So we ended up revamping uh, this playground with the help of the local community. So it was a very good example of what can happen when you partner with like the the community, the city, we got the kids involved, they helped, you know, put in their ideas for what they wanted at the playground. We applied for state grants. So we got, you know, some money that way. And also a lot of sponsorships from like local businesses. And then a lot of local people who just pitched in with labor. And yeah, uh, yeah, it it ended up being... So great. So, um, yeah, I'm very happy that that turned out, um, that project uh, panned out and the kids in the, you know, have a, a lot of, they have a lot of joy from it today. Yeah. So, Which yeah. is how it's, it takes a village. It's, it does. In it terms does. of, so can you tell us a little bit more mm-hmm. about that? Like just pulling mm-hmm. from what your experience here in the U.S. and your experience, mm-hmm. I mean, the experience in Scandinavia, it's just, it was so described so beautifully can you yeah. it just it makes me want to be a kid over there <laughs> just everybody right, right. and being yeah. there's this sense of freedom and joy and wonder and mm. um but it seems like in your experience in Scandinavia that that it that it did take a village that that it, it does was an yeah. issue that it that the actual government would get involved and yeah, we we have a a culture or cultural lifestyle called mm-hmm. friluftsliv, which is yeah. what my second book is about. It loosely translates to open air life, and it's been around so the mid nineteenth century. So like eighteen fifties is when mm-hmm. it sort of first occurred, and it just it's a, a lifestyle that sort of revolves around uh, connecting with uh, primarily your nearby nature. So the yeah. sort of the nature that you can access on a daily or nearly daily basis. So it sort of brings it down to a more manageable level, I think. And it really revolves around spending as much time as possible outside. And it's uh, it's sort of a, I like it to uh, like a slow nature movement. It's yeah. about, it's non-competitive. Mm-hmm. It's uh, non-motorized. It's usually things that are not very expensive so it's accessible um to a lot of people uh, and it can involve like the most i think the most common way of practicing freelance is just walking around your neighborhood yeah um and really using using those little patches of you know whether it's a like little stands of trees or you know you can find you can find uh nature in the city too so that's Kind of yeah. the, the point yeah. too, like to look for it where you're at or where you are. So that's kind of very ingrained in our culture, and the kids, like they they do it at preschool. So the, the you know the preschools take the kids to the forest and they talk about um, uh, you know conservation and that that's sort of woven into it as well. Like we don't practice open air life just for the the health benefits and, right, and the, right. the benefits to us, but it's also about giving back or like understanding, like we're learning about the ecosystem because 
we need people who who know how this works because uh, our future depends on that. Mm-hmm. So so that's part of the preschool, the, the national preschool curriculum. That's incredible. Um, yeah. That even for little kids and, and for them, it might just be it's it's on a very it's not like it's not about telling like teaching three and four year olds about global climate change. It's about, you know, maybe we go for a walk in our neighborhood and pick up trash or we talk about, you know, how to keep the water clean. It's mostly about making that emotional connection. But mm-hmm. and then after that comes the environmental stewardship. Yeah. So you build on that, you you know, you make that emotional connection first and then you sort of build on that, mm, um, love that. to to sort of grow a sense of stewardship among these children. And I think there's definitely a connection there because, you know, when you look at uh, env- environmental policies and so forth, the Nordic countries are, are pretty progressive in that area. And I think it's because we've had this environmental education uh from an from an early age right right because um, i don't think because there's a lot of talk about outdoor play and being i mean it, it isn't we, we do need kids to play outside to get that emotional connection but i don't think that alone is enough like i think right. the environmental education that component is needed too to make to make yeah. the connection like, right we love this place, but okay, so this is what we need to do to actually, to protect it as well. Right. And then, so, so we have a really, yeah, exactly. To have a relationship And, and it's with, all so, done, it's like age, in, in, a, in a way that's age appropriate too. So for the younger kids, there are different like characters, like fairy tale characters right. or magical mm. creatures that sort of bring, bring that message in, in a playful way. So it's not about like lecturing them about, uh, doom and gloom because uh, you don't <laughs> you know you don't want them to like freak out because um, yeah. uh, it, it can be very scary for for little children to hear about all the the challenges that that we're facing today right and right. so you, that's why you do it through these different characters so there's a character for the forest there's a, another one for uh, you know, for the oceans, and there's one for the mountains, and so forth. So they all have different, yeah, different that. ways of introducing uh, a conservation message. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it goes, it continues on as the ki- kids get older. Then, then the message uh, sort of changes into more, more about the the mechanisms behind climate change and pollution and, and all that. So, so it's all these very uh, intentional steps. Yeah, I don't even think we have anything close to that. Right. You know, I no, think we have in, yeah. in middle school they go they do mm-hmm. one week of outdoor education. They sort of go mm. away for a week and they that's it. You know, it's sort of Right, right. So it's very it's it's amazing to think about what we need to do and how can we slow I mean slowly we're we we are catching up a little bit but we have a yeah. long long way to go. What in terms of yeah. Your final chapter, which was "It Takes a Village," mm-hmm. what do you feel like we need to do to as a as the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard. It's such a huge country, yeah, um, and w- with different states, so each yeah. with you know their different regulations. But I think a great uh, way into it is um, through nature preschools and forest schools. Uh, I think that's really 
we really need that movement to grow and it has yeah. grown exponentially yeah just since I like I, I tell this story all the time but you know when I when my daughter was born and I first when I first started my advocacy for this, there were there were like a handful of forest schools in the entire nation. People didn't know what a what it was even, and today there are over six hundred. I think probably yeah. over seven hundred because uh, the the latest count I saw was already a bit dated. And so I I feel like you know doing everything in our power to make that more accessible to more people and just working on every level. Like it's hard to sometimes, you know, institutions can be very hard to change, but we saw Mm -hmm. also during COVID how quickly things can change sometimes when you're, when you really have to. So even my kids old school, like they even have an an outdoor classroom today and that was brought on by COVID. Um, So and maybe you, (laughs) yeah. Well, you know, I I suppose I planted the first seed. Who's that crazy Um, woman walking in the rain? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right. (laughs) So I think you know, but start on. You you can start with yourself and do Mm -hmm. you know do what you always like. Start with your own family and do what you can to get your own children or grandchildren or the children in your care uh, outside more. And mm-hmm. help spread this message and help educate others. Recommend my book. It's like a great yeah, introduction. Yeah, it's absolutely. And you know, might sound self-interested, but <laughs> but it's it, it is a, a good it's, introduction. It should be to required whole, reading. And and yeah. I, I mean, I'm a big believer that it's you know also educating educators, like having mm-hmm. training within the yeah uh, edu- as teacher young teachers are coming into the system. To right. be trained to be educators, I feel like there should be this whole component of of na- nature based outdoor classroom. Mm-hmm. And then I think that when they go into schools, that every school should have an outdoor classroom. So yeah. it's, it's it becomes sort of the norm. That's right. That's just what, and to, you know, and you can set an example, like just people seeing me outside or right. um, <laughs> in my community. So like, I think I think it got people thinking, like, yeah. okay, you know. And, and asking questions like, so how are you outside in this cold? And, and right. like, so we can all be like little role models in our own um, yeah. communities. And then I think also reach out to others and, and, and not just the, the already converted, but see right. if you can, you know, maybe <laughs> have a, like a pop-up playground or yeah. host like uh like a meetup at the park in the winter mm-hmm, time, mm-hmm. you know, uh, give out hot chocolate or whatever. Try to invite the neighbor kids over to your, if you have a backyard, like uh, I know people who've, who've done that, have sort of, um, or even your front yard, like they've yeah, no, I've, toys I've, and stuff. Yeah. And just ma- let everybody know that the neighbor kids are welcome. And because because we don't get so much of that spontaneously anymore. Not not like it was in the 80s when I grew up. And that's just yeah. how the kids, that's just how we hung out. Like we rode our bikes it to just, each other's house, houses. And and the kids just don't have uh, as much of that spontaneously going on today. So I think us parents need to be more intentional about it. And part yeah. of that is also just like the whole digital, like the rise of digital right. and, uh, entertainment, you know, you a whole that's, that's a huge that. barrier too. Yeah. And and that's actually, that's a barrier that I'm seeing. I think that's the main barrier I'm seeing here in Scandinavia is because the, this huge pull 
on the kids from electronic, you know, their electronic devices. That's yeah. like, That's, yeah. And, and, and it's getting a little scarier, you know, uh-huh. as, as we progress. So it's a little... Yeah. A little crazy. So I think that's universal, and that's something I don't think we can. Uh, and I think in in the years just since I wrote my book, I feel like there's been a change for the worse here in terms yeah. of like how yeah. much time kids spend on on their iPads and phone, smartphones. Um, that's interesting. So, so that, that I think that's you something feel is a we, universal. We, yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't think we can relax. You know, we do have the culture of free sleeve to sort of balance that out. But it's getting, I think, getting harder for parents because, yes. you know, the digital entertainment is just so easily accessible. And it's just, it's hard for nature to compete sometimes yeah. because yeah. What's kids today are not, they're just not used to having downtime. Like they are used to having this constant flow of like instant gratification. And when you're outside, that's just not happening. Like <laughs> you have to come up with your own fun outside. Yeah. There, there's and not it's, a, it's, a yeah. it's sort of like a muscle. They, mm-hmm. they, oh yeah. Uh, and, and if they're not using that muscle, mm-hmm. it, it just sort of goes flat. And then yeah. it feels like the electronics, it's just, it's, mm-hmm. it's, you can sort of be passive. It doesn't yeah. take a lot of exercise to. Yeah, no, it, it definitely needs, they need practice I can usually tell which kids have not played outside you know yeah, in an so unstructured fashion a lot because uh, they're usually the first ones to get you know to start complaining about being bored and not having anything to do yeah, and yeah or not having the yeah. right gear or right, <laughs> right. That's a whole nother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. wow anything else you'd like to share with our community mm-hmm. this has been absolutely amazing I cannot stress enough how wonderful your there's no such thing as bad weather and your new book, The Open Air Life. Yeah. I'm not going to try to say. <laughs> free loose live. Free loose live. Did I say it? Free loose live. Yeah, oh, yeah that's good. <laughs> I suppose just, uh, you know, if they, if, it, if people want to uh, read more about me, like my blog is full of information. I have a newsletter if they want to stay up to date on events and, and things like that. It's uh, uh, rainorshinemama.com is my blog. And then they can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. Facebook uh, or Instagram is for more to get a more sort of behind the scenes look at my life. Yeah. I I love to connect with my readers. So just just keep in touch. Absolutely. (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us here at the Outdoor Classrooms podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with anybody who you think would enjoy it and follow us on Instagram. We'd love to continue the conversation. If you want to continue the conversation even deeper, please join us in the Circle community. The purpose of the Circle is to support, guide, and push you as you continually grow and sustain your outdoor classroom by providing the tools to help you set the right goals, then actually follow through in achieving those goals with the support of our amazing 
community. Each month, 24-7, you get guidance and support from myself. You get to begin your journey with our new member roadmap. You get access to our outdoor teaching boot camp. You get to interact and learn from guest experts who are on our podcast. They come into our membership and join us to continue the conversations. You get to connect and collaborate during two live sessions a month. You get access to all our online workshops and masterclasses. You get get to dig deeper with our membership missions each month and you get to become an ambassador of joy for children. I hope you can join us for the price of one workshop. You get all of this. You get to become a member of our family at Outdoor Classroom. So I hope you can join us. I will share the link in the show notes and we'll see you later. Come join us.